April 21st, in case nobody, everybody didn't hear that, April 21st. All right, um, you guys will open up your Bible to Exodus chapter 18. That's where we're at this morning. Uh, here at Livingstone Calvary, if you're new, we want to welcome you, and we teach through God's Word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we start at the beginning of a book, and we go all the way through the end, not excluding, ignoring, or leaving any, any part of it out, and um, we believe that um, one of the important things is, is not that you're just taught from God's Word, but that you, that we are, that we are taught God's Word, that we come to know God's Word, that and we believe that, like the Word says, it's living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's God's Word that has the ability to penetrate into our hearts and into our lives and, and to grow us and to change us and to mold us and to renew us and, and the inner man. And, and, and I pray that that would happen this morning. So let's begin by reading God's Word in verse 1 of chapter 18. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephorah, Moses' wife, and he had sent her back, after he had sent her back, with her two sons, of whom the names of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land, and the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, um, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he encamped at the mountain of God. Of course, we know that to be Mount Sinai. Uh, also uh, referred to as Mount Horeb. And if you've ever wanted to do a really neat study on um, uh, a specific thing in the Bible, do a study on that, the mountain of God. And uh, see all the things that took place there, um, and uh, you'll be amazed. Uh, in verse 6, it's now, it says, Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, are coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. Verse 8, And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now... I know that the Lord is greater than all of the gods, and in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. And so Moses' father-in-law, verse 17, said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear, wear, the, wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will stand be, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, verse 21, you shall select from all the people able men. What kind of men are these? It says here, such as fear God. Men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties, and rulers over tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be 
that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers over thousands, rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties, and rulers over ten. And so they judged the people at, the, at all times. And the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case they, they themselves. Then, verse 27, Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. And Father, we ask, God, that you would be here with us. God, we know you already have. Your presence has been manifested through our worship. And, and Lord, your word tells us that when your people worship you, that it's a, that's a pleasing sound to your ear. That you literally, Lord, go and sit on your throne to receive our worship. And I pray, God, as we study your word, that um, we would lay our hearts before you and we would submit to you in humility also as an act of worship, God, and receive everything that you have for us. Lord, that we would be not only hearers of the word, but doers. Um, doers, God, who, who, who um, love you and love others, love one another. And Father, I ask, God, that you would give us a renewed sense of our understanding of who you are and that, um, Lord, if we've gone astray in, in our motives for why we do um, what you've called us to do, I pray, Lord, that it would come back to this motive and only this motive of a love for you. Not because we have to, Lord, but because we want to as we remember your goodness and kindness and the work that you did on the cross for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, and so in this next chapter, um, we read about Moses' visit with his father-in-law. And man, that is, that's the fact that Jethro is Moses' father-in-law is reiterated over and over in this chapter. And um, Jethro, his father-in-law, who according to verse 1 was also, it says, a priest of Midian. And um, uh, that would mean that uh, he was a Midianite as, as well as um, Moses' wife, Zephora, was a Midianite as well. And it's interesting to note that the Hebrew word, as we begin to look this up, the Hebrew word used in verse 1, if you look there, for the word priest is, a word, uh, is the word kohen. And, um, and that word kohen was a title that was used to describe a chief ruler of a people. And that gives us a little bit of an insight into perhaps... Um, who uh, uh, Jethro was. In fact, this same Hebrew word, Cohen, is used again in the Old Testament, first back in Genesis chapter 14. And, 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 and in Genesis chapter 14 is, is where Abraham has an encounter with a man by the name of Melchizedek. It says the Melchizedek was the king of Salem, but he's also called the priest of God, the priest, the Cohen of the Most High God. And um, in light of this, we should understand that Melchizedek, um, like Jethro, or like Melchizedek, Jethro was first and foremost a worshiper of the one true God. And his words in his, in his actions in this chapter, the things that we see in the counsel that he gives to, to Moses and in his actions through the worship and the offering of the sacrifices to God, they reveal this to us, but that he was a true worshiper of God. But we should also realize that Jethro was probably one of the chief rulers of the Midianites. And when we study a little bit further into to the book of Numbers, we'll come to see that the Midianites actually had five different kings. And, and I'm not suggesting that, that um, uh, Jethro was one of these five kings because they're named uh, specifically in, in one of the events that we'll read about in the book of Numbers later on. But he was a chief ruler of, of a, a tribal leader, if you will, in this sense, uh, of the Midianites, who, by the way, the Midianites were the descendants of, of Abraham, and, and Abraham married uh, another woman after his wife Sarah died named Kurath, and she gave Abraham additional sons, one of them who was named Midian, a descendant. And the point is, is the wisdom that Jethro, uh, uh, that we read about here, the, the, the wisdom that we read about here that Jethro advised Moses with was, was probably not beyond his realm of expertise. 
And it was, it was probably rooted in his own experience as a godly leader. Now, I want to point out that this chapter is much different. And if you've, if you've been here with us in the last several weeks, we've been studying through the book of Exodus, and we've followed the journey uh, of the children of Israel out of Egypt and the things that they encountered so far along their way, you realize that this chapter is much different than the last few chapters that we've read about or that we've read through. Because in the last chapters, in the several chapters that we've been reading through, um, they've detailed various trials that the children of Israel have endured along their way as they're traveling through the, through the wilderness. But, but not just about the trials that we've been reading about, but they've detailed the complaints. Remember the ongoing complaining that the children of Israel had done up to this point, but also they've detailed the battles that the children of Israel had gone through. And, and first with the, the one that God fought for them as the uh, Pharaoh's armies followed into the Red Sea and um, um, were drowned there. And then, of course, with Amalek and the Malachites in just last week's chapter that we read through back in chapter 17. And... Um, and this thing that we've been reading about, which is different now than what we have been reading about, um, uh, will continue because there are still many other chapters to come that will continue to detail these kinds of things, the trials, the complaints, and the battles that the children of Israel goes through. But this chapter, it gives us a pause. It gives us a pause as it describes the camp of Israel for the first time in a new way, really as a, as a, as a, as a quiet camp of a family fellowship and, and just really everyday kind of business that was taking place. And in this chapter, it should remind us, as we read of these events in this chapter, it should remind us, guys, that this life journey that we're on, because we've been studying through the book of Exodus and seeing the journey of faith that the children of Israel have been called into and that they're on and, 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 and comparing it to our own lives and, and our own journey of faith that God has us on. And, and in doing so, this chapter is a new reminder for us. It's a reminder for us that, that um, this life we're on isn't always filled. It's not always about trials and warfare. It's not always about that. Although these things seem to be what we usually remember. In fact, lots of times we, we, we have these markers or these indicators on our lives through the different trials or the different battles that we've gone through as we enter into another one. And we look back and we remember the journey that we're on perhaps by these kinds of things. But the truth is this journey that we've been called to, this life that we've been given and the journey, the faith that we're on, is, is also a life that is filled, it is full of God's blessings, is it not? It's a, it's a life that is filled with times of great joy. I like what Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, God's people are prone to, prone, God's people are prone to engrave their trials in marble and write their blessings in sand. And I think there's some truth to that. And because this is true, God's Word, and because God knows this, God's Word is constantly encouraging us and, uh, to set up memorials, to set up memorials that will remind us about God's blessings and about those past joyful times that we've gone through. Furthermore, this is why we on a daily basis, as Philippians 4 tells us, on a daily basis, perhaps even on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, and we need to be meditating, the Word says, literally setting our minds on the things that are just and pure and lovely and good and praiseworthy. And in doing so, we're, we're, we're told that we will let our heart or we will open up our hearts to be moved to this place of rejoicing, to be rejoicing in what God has done and in what God is doing. And this is the, this is the kind of thing that we see taking place in this chapter as the good news of what God had done for Israel is not only reflected on, but it is also praised and brings forth worship. The point is, Praising God is much better than complaining to God. In fact, praise is a good attitude or is a good antidote for a complaining spirit. And if you find that yourself in that place where your, your, your focus is on the negative things that are going on in your life, I would encourage you to praise God. 
to praise Him. Why? Because He's worthy of our praise. And we all can find things to give Him thanks and to praise Him for. Now, as we navigate through this next chapter, if you're taking notes, I want to point out to you that there's three main things that we need to focus on. Three things that we're going to focus on. The first is this reunion between Moses and his father-in-law Jethro, who came to Moses, it says, with Moses' wife and his two sons. That's the first thing. The second thing that we're going to focus on or look at is, is Jethro's response to the news about all that God had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, it says, for Israel's sake. And, and the cool thing about it, guys, is that God's still doing all kinds of things to people for Israel's sake. And I point that out because we see a, a, a perfect storm right now, prophetically speaking, if you, if you study prophecy all at all, we see a perfect storm brewing, God's storm, if you will, brewing, uh, prophetically speaking, in the Middle East. And just this last week, there's been some and the incredible things take place with Turkey and Syria and Iran in, in regards to some, some things that are going on in Israel. And, and I don't know if you guys subscribe to any foreign news agencies. I would encourage you to do so because you get a much accurate reporting of what's going on in Israel when you look at some of the news that's put out by Israel in regards to their perspective and, and, and the alerts and the, and, the, and, the, and the things that are taking place. But, but God's still working on behalf of Israel right now. And the exciting thing about that is, as we even sang that last song together about, you know, Jesus is coming soon, is, is that Israel is a prophetic uh, a barometer uh, in regards to the Lord's return, something that we're all anticipating for. And so as we see the Lord continuing to do things for Israel, for his people, it, it, should, it should bring forth an excitement and an anticipation in our own lives about what's next for us. It's what God's doing for Israel. And um, as we see this continuing on, um, um, that's one of the things that we're going to focus on is, is, is Jethro's response and really what is our response when we see God working in, in our lives and in the lives of people around us, and just like we see Jethro's response to the news. And then lastly, the third thing that we want to look at this morning is this wise counsel that Jethro gave to his son-in-law before returning back to his own land. So with that, if you want to look back to, to verse 1, the first seven verses really group together this first section of Scripture that we want to look at together this morning. And, and um, it was, it was um, back in Exodus chapter 2. If you've been here and you're studying or you're aware of what goes on in the book of Exodus. But it was back in Exodus chapter 2 where we first met Jethro. And, and, and Moses had first met Jethro's daughters before he'd even met Jethro, and it was at a well there in Midian. And, it, and he met them there after he himself, Je Moses, had, had fled from Egypt in order to save his life. And you guys know the story. Moses had fled from, from Pharaoh because he had murdered an Egyptian man who was beating a Hebrew slave. And of course, Moses, being a Hebrew, who had, had been raised up miraculously in, in, in Pharaoh's um, home, um, uh, came to this place where he had saw the oppression of, of God's people, of his people as well. God had opened his eyes and opened to his hearts to these things. And then Moses said, you know, he saw the situation and he needed to intervene. But he intervened on his own, uh, apart from God, uh, God's strength and God's wisdom. And in doing so, he acted in an ungodly way. Well, he fled, fled from the sword of Pharaoh is what it says. And, and Moses came into the land of Midian, leaving everything behind, and he found Jethro's daughters there upon his arrival there uh, into Midian at a well trying to water their flocks of sheep. But what we know is we're told that there was other shepherds there who came to the well, and they had driven away uh, Jethro's daughter's sheep after they had worked to fill the troughs full of water. They, they, they watched and let them fill the troughs full of water, and then they drove them and their sheep off sheep off so that their sheep could come and take the water. And seeing this injustice, as Moses was a man who stood up for justice, is, is he stepped in and he drove these shepherds away and then finished helping the women watering their sheep. And it was this act of kindness that opened up the door for Moses to come and live with Jeff, Jethro and eventually, and, uh, and, and eventually uh, led to him marrying one of uh, Jethro's daughters, Zephora. And Moses ended up living in Midian for 40 years. 
before being called by God to go back to Egypt. Remember by the burning bush in the wilderness where God came to him and made himself known to him? And um, then that is when Pharaoh, or when God sent uh, uh, Moses back to Egypt to, to be his deliverer, to deliver God's people out of Pharaoh's hand. And during this time that Moses had spent um, uh, with Jethro, um, uh, he had these two sons, Gershom and Eleazar, and they're mentioned by name here in verses 3 and 4 with an explanation to why why, God had, why Moses had named these things, and they both these, the names of the son reflected the work that God had done in his life. And, and as, we, as we take all this consideration and we look now here to verse 2, it tells us that Jethro then took Moses' wife and his two sons and went to Moses, who was camped in the wilderness at the mountain of God, after he says, it says, that Moses had sent them back to him. And even though the text did not specifically tell us when or why Moses had sent them to him, the context of the passage leads us to believe that Moses had sent them back to Jethro sometime after the, red, the crossing of the Red Sea. And, and I point that out because in some of your study Bibles, you may have a reference back to Exodus chapter 4. And in Exodus chapter 4, we know that as Moses was making his way to the land of Egypt, that, that um, an angel of God came and visited him along the way and it was going to kill Moses because Moses had not circumcised his two sons. And I don't want to get into that whole account, but there was this confrontation between Zephorah and Moses at that time. And, and that, that, that passage of Scripture is referenced in a lot of your guys' Bibles because there's this some who believe that is when Moses sent his uh, wife back to be with, and sons to be with his father as he was in Egypt for that whole time. And, and I don't necessarily agree with that because the context of the passage doesn't lead us to, to, to believe that in any, in any sense. In fact, if you, if you study God's Word simply and let it simply explain itself as, as we read it, which I always think is the, 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 the best way to look at God's Word, is, is that the passage leads us to believe that Moses had sent them back sometime after the Red Sea crossing. And, and here's the reason why. Because he did so in order to let his father-in-law know, according to verse 1, let him know about the things that God had done for Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel up out of Egypt. And having heard the good news, verse 6 tells us that Jethro then sent a, Moses, a message back to Moses saying that he was coming back to Moses with Zephora and his sons, and her, and her sons. And, and at this point, I think it stopped, it, 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 we should stop and, and take a moment to look at Jethro. Because the things that we're reading about here reveal a lot about that, the character of Jethro. Uh, the person, the man, who he was, and what was important, what was what was important to him, uh, because he, obviously being a very old man at this time or by this time, could have very well just stayed back in his own land, at his own home, in the comfort of his own home, and enjoyed the visit, the time that he had with his daughters and and his two grandsons, and then sent them back on their way without him going. But he didn't. And why? It was because he wanted to see with his own eyes the results of the awesome works that he had just heard about with his own ears. He had heard about the things of God, the report that had been given to him, and he's like, man, i got to go check this out. I want to go see it. And Jethro's actions, it really reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, where Peter, he writes about the salvation of God that has come to us the Gentiles. It says, through the preaching of the gospel of God by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the Peter says that this is something that the angels of heaven desire to look into. They hear about it. They can't believe what their ears have heard, the angels, and they want to look into the work that God's doing. And I point these things out, guys, because we too should also have a desire to be a part of and to look into the works of God. You know, you heard about Justin testifying what's going on down at the bridge. When you hear about those things, I don't know about you, but you, for me, I want to go and see it and be a part of it. And that was Jethro. Guys, but rather than, than, than often, rather than making the effort to go and be a part of what God is doing and witnessing the works of God, which is seen and experienced um, 
as we often have fellowship and share our lives with one another or being a part of, of, of a woman's or men's Bible study or even by serving God in one of the ministries that the church is, has to offer, rather than going and being a part of those kinds of things and experiencing them, guys, we often settle for the comforts of our own home. Or we, we often settle for the comforts of, of our daily routines. But in doing so, we miss out on the better things. We miss out on witnessing or being a part of the works of God, not only in, in, around us, but the works of God in us, and the, the works of God that God wants to do through us, and the works that God will do around us. Really, literally, guys, the things that the angels who live in heaven desire to stop and look into. And if, if the angels of heaven are, are, are stopping what they're doing in order to look into the things that God's doing in us and through us and around us, the salvation of God that goes on in our lives and in our community and through the ministries and, and in each other's lives, if they want to look into that, should we not also consider that a high priority in our own lives? Should we not this morning again reevaluate the things that we're doing and why we're doing them and going, is this as important as I really think that it is? Or is there something greater that God would have me be a part of? Is there something that God would have me make the journey and experience and see for myself the things that God, uh, things of God that I've heard about going on? This is what Jethro did. And in verse 7 it says, so Moses as Jethro came, it says that Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and, and then they went into his tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Could you imagine as Jethro came near in this vast wilderness there at the mountain of God. And I don't know his geographical advantage, but remember there's two million people now camped out in this wilderness. And Jethro had heard about these accounts. He had heard about the things that, that God had done and how he had freed these Hebrew slaves from the Egyptians and destroyed the Egyptian armies and, and all the provision that had taken place along the way. And he comes to it and he sees it for his own eyes. What an amazing thing that had to have been. A miraculous, unbelievable thing to behold. Now, as we continue on, I want to look into the second aspect of, of, of what we're being told here in the Scripture. We're being told that about, about really about the, the, the words that were communicated to Jethro, but mostly as we read on even what I reread here of Jethro's response to not only what he saw, but the words that Moses testified to. And it's obvious as we look at this from the very beginning that during the 40 years that Moses had spent with Jethro, that he had really come to care about this man, his father-in-law. He respected him. And we can see by Moses' response in verse 8 that he was glad that Jethro was coming. And that he had, was even waiting in anticipation. And as soon as news came to him that Jethro was near, Moses went out of his tent into the edge of the camp and was waiting for his, his arrival. And when Moses had invited Jethro back into his tent, it says it gave him this firsthand account of all that God had done. And I imagine, imagine that Jethro was asking questions and his, he was astonished. And really tell me about that. The Red Sea split. There were frogs all across the land. I mean, all these different things. It would have been an amazement. It would have been an awesome conversation. Could you imagine being able to sit down with Moses today and have him recount that to you? It would have been exciting. And not only did, did, did Moses recount all that God had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but he also accounted to him all the hardships that they had come upon in their journey, in that journey of faith that they had been on up to that point, and, and, and specifically of how God had delivered them yet along the way, over and over and over again. And it's important for us to notice that the report Moses gave, guys, wasn't what he had done, but it was what the Lord had done. It wasn't what he had done, but it was what the Lord had done. And I really appreciate it, Justin, that all throughout this sharing about the bridge. It, it is. It's a report of what the Lord had done and what the Lord is doing. 
And certainly Moses was used in many mighty ways, but he was a humble man. He was always careful to never take any of the credit or the glory that God deserved. But as we read about the the testimony that, that Moses gave to Jethro, you know what it should remind us of? It should remind us of what God has done to deliver us. It does for me when I think about these things. I go, I reflect on what God has done to deliver me. What has God done to deliver you? And how God has delivered us from our bondage. Not only what He had done to deliver us, but what He had done to deliver us from the hardships that we'd faced and do face on our own journey of faith. Do you reflect on that? Do you think about that? Not only in how God saved you and what He saved you from, but how He continues to be with you on this journey of faith and deliver you from hardship, from trial, from adversity. But more importantly, Moses' testimony, guys, should remind us of how we should be looking for and taking opportunity to be with other people or to tell other people about the things that God has done for us. Are you doing that? Are you taking opportunity to tell other people about the things that God had saved you from, how He saved you, and how He continues to be involved in your life today? And here's the reason why. Because in doing so, guys, God is honored. God is glorified. And when we share about what God has done for us or what God has done in us and what God is doing through us, you know what's going to happen? Others are going to be hopeful. They're going to be encouraged to believe that God can and will do the same things for them in fact there are many passages of scripture that admonish us to do this like psalm 105 verses 1 through 2 which says give thanks to the lord call on his name make known among the nations what he has done sing to him sing praise to him and tell of all of his wonderful acts and when we're willing to share about what God has done, you know what? It creates an opportunity for those who are willing to listen to also experience and come to know God in a new or in a deeper way. (coughs) And such was the case for Jethro, who listened to all that God had done. And then look, in verse 11, what does he declare? He says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. And truthfully, it wasn't ever a question of well, maybe God isn't. That's not the statement that's being made here. It's just, a, it's just a testimony of a truth which he already needed to be true. And how do I know this? Because the Hebrew word that is used here is, for the word no is not like this coming to the realization of. It wasn't like this epiphany. Oh, I, I come to know. It's, it's not a coming to know. Rather, it's a knowing by a personal experience. That's the Hebrew word that's being used here. It's a coming to know by a personal experience. And I point this out because knowing God in an experiential way, which we all desire, but coming to know God in an experiential way is not exclusive to what God does for us or what God does through us personally. Rather, our knowing of God and our growing in our own personal understanding of who God is and understanding of what God can do also comes when others share with us about their encounters with God or about what God is doing in their lives. I love to hear about those things. About your own experiences with God, your own encounters with God, and what God has done in you and through you and how He continues to journey with you because I'm the, then, then, then I'm like Jethro. We're like Jethro in that moment where we go, man, now I know. I've also experienced God vicariously through what you have experienced. And coming to know God and understand God more. Another thing for us to see in these verses is that as a result of hearing and experience how great God is through the stories that Moses, Moses told to him, we see that Jethro's response in verse 9, that his response in verse 9 was to rejoice. To rejoice for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel. Then, if you look a little bit further into verse 12, It tells us that Jethro worshipped God with Aaron and Moses and all the elders of Israel with a burnt offering and other sacrifices that were offered up to God. And it's interesting 
the, the, the timeline of events here because Moses has yet not gone on top of the mountain and received God's laws or God's statutes, yet later on we know that he proclaims already known that God's revealed them to him, but even the sacrificial system had not been set up yet, but we see these things taking place. Not only do we see them taking place, but Jethro, a Midianite, a Gentile technically, knew to do these things. And in a very real way, when I see this taking place, in a very real way, these people literally had a party. A barbecue. It's biblical. And, they, and, and, and having this party, having this, 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 this get-together, they celebrated everything that God had done with steak. And Jethro's example, guys, I point this out because it's a good reminder that this life that God has given us to live, it needs to be celebrated. It needs to be enjoyed. It needs to be celebrated intentionally. Did you know that was one of the was part of the provision for the sacrificial system? There were certain sacrifices that were offered wholly and completely to God, but there are other sacrifices that were offered up that were to be consumed by the people together as an act of worship and praise to God. In fact, in 1 Timothy, when we talk about this life that God's given us to live needing to be intentionally celebrated and intentionally enjoyed, it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, it says that God richly gives us all things to enjoy. He richly gives us all things to enjoy. And furthermore, it was King Solomon who wrote and said in Ecclesiastes 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 24, he says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, he says, was from the hand of God. Now Solomon will go on and talk about that, that, that life for pleasure alone and, and celebration alone and enjoyment alone is futile apart from, from God. But when, when God and the life that He's given us to live and the praise and worship in Him is brought into it, there's a fullness, in, 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 there's a completeness, there's a holy aspect that's brought into enjoying this life that God's given us to live. And when the worship and praise of God for what He has given us and for what He has done is the motive for our celebration, it's an awesome thing. But the fact of the matter is, here's where it gets real for us, I think, at least for me, the fact of the matter is, is that we, at least the church in America, as far as I've seen it, and it's not the case for all the church. I've been in many other countries where, where I've worshipped and celebrated with Christians, and it's not the same, but at least here in America, guys, we're too busy with our labors. We're too busy with our labors and too busy with our everyday lives and we neglect these times that we're reading about here in this chapter to pause from life. To pause from life and, and to come together and to reflect on and celebrate everything that God has done for us. When was the last time you did that? Where you just invited a bunch of people over, you barbecued a bunch of stuff up, and you just gave God praise and glory and worship because of the things that He's done in your life. This is the reason for why I'm having this party. Because God is good to me. And this life that He's given me is worth stopping and celebrating. And the truth is, when I think about this, when I reflect about this, even when I remembered my own life before Christ... This truth is brought forth that when it comes to celebrating or partying, if you will, the unbelieving world's really good at it. They are. I, matter of fact, I, I made it a point. I worked hard to be an expert at partying before I came to Jesus. But sadly, the unbelieving world's motive as well as mine at that time for celebrating is rooted in the belief that we should eat and drink and be merry. Why? Because tomorrow we die. 
And it's sad, really, when you think about it. It's, it's, it's pathetic and it's sad. Yet when it comes to, to the motives for celebrating, we who have been set free from sin, we who have been set free from death and have been given life, and life more abundantly, as the, as the Word of God tells us in, in the book of John, you know, we have so many better reasons and such better reasons to celebrate as we come together in order to praise and worship God. So why don't we? Why is the church not known as the partiers? We should. We should regularly take time out of our lives, out of our daily schedules, to fellowship and to worship and praise and celebrate what God has done together. Now, I know that's not all of what life is supposed to be. And it was King Solomon who also said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, he said, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. And clearly Moses knew this, as verse 13 tells us, that on the very next day he went back to work. <laughs> he went back to work and he served the children of Israel as they went out to judge them, it says, from morning until evening. Yet in doing so, his father-in-law, Jethro, it says that he observed what Moses was doing, and when he saw the weight of the task that Moses was attempting to carry on his own, he asked him in verse 14 two questions. He asked what it was that Moses was doing, and, and maybe I shouldn't do this, but in my own mind, I kind of I, I, I see things when I read this, and I, I kind of see you know, Jethro kind of strolling out a little bit later in the day, and Moses is already sitting before the people, and he's got a line from here wrapping all the way around Mount Sinai and people wanting to come and talk to him. And, and he, he's strolling out and he's, he's like, hmm, son-in-law. He comes up and taps him on the shoulder. And of course, none of this is in there. It's just in my mind. So, and, and it can be a pretty scary place up there. But it's, it's, I see these things going on and, and, and there's some humility, but yet there's some wisdom and, and, and a sense of kind of knowing better here. And he comes to him and he asks him these two questions. What, what are you doing? Moses, buddy, son, what are you doing? And not only that, he's all, he says, why are you doing this? All you, why are you the only one? And what Moses was doing, it was a godly thing. He was doing a godly thing. As he, as the leader, was, was listening to the problems of the people and, and, then, and then taking God's statutes, he said, and then God's laws and making it known to them. But in trying to do this, we see that he was trying to do the work all by himself and that he had taken on too much. And after listening to Moses explain himself, Jethro concluded in verse 17 that the thing that Moses was doing was not good. It was not good. And the advice that Jethro proceeded to counsel Moses with was very practical as he suggested that Moses go and select able men, he said. He gave him these three standards, men who feared God, men of truth, or men who hated covetousness, and to teach these men about God's statutes and God's laws so that they could also judge the people and share the burden that Moses was trying to carry on his own. And it is. It's very practical wisdom. And even though Jethro's counsel seemed like a very reasonable uh, advice, and really we can look at it and go, yeah, that's, that's common sense, right? We might say that. The best part of his counsel, I think, is found in verse 23. If you look there. And it's subtle, and we might overlook it, but the best part of the counsel is seen in verse 23, where, where after he gave them this advice and, and assessed the situation, he encouraged Moses, <coughs> excuse me, to take his advice, to take his advice, and then to bring it before God. Guys, and that's so key. There are a lot of be a lot of times where God's got you doing something, and people's come up to you, and they've seen stuff, and they're like, and people are full of advice and opinions. But what stands is God's word, God's counsel. And Jethro knew that. Again, being a godly man, he knew that. He said, bring it before the Lord and see if this is something that God would command you to do. Now, this is the thing that, that Jethro encouraged Moses with. And it was this, this, thing that, that this thing that Jethro encouraged Moses with, the advice and the counsel of sharing the burden. burden. It, was some, it was the same kind of thing that we read about in the New Testament. In, in specifically in Acts chapter 6, with the, with, the, with the apostles. And in that chapter, we read that the church was growing, the early church was growing, and the needs of the people were not being met. As it was too much for the twelve, it says, to oversee and to have overseed everything on their own. 
And so other men, it says, who had a good reputation and were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom were chosen to serve the people and make sure that the needs of church were being met alongside the apostles. And guys, this, this, this principle, this real biblical principle of distributing the work and many carrying the load together rather than just one or a few carrying it all on their own is, is, is what God's called all of us to do. It's what He's called all of us to do. You know, and this has its applications into our lives in many different ways, biblically speaking. For example, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now think about that. The application here is to the individual. Is that when you see your brother or your sister in need, that you just don't stand by and go, wow, that looks really heavy. Looks like you got yourself into some trouble. I'll pray for you. <laughs> and yeah, we should be praying for one another, but the implication of the passage here is, is that you're supposed to do something about it if you have the means to do it. The wordage there in the Greek is literally this, this picture of, 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 you guys have all seen the three-legged race, right, at a picnic? is that you would go and gird yourself next to that person who is burdened by whatever they're going through, and then you would carry that load with them. That when they're weak and they can't move or carry or function on their own, whatever it is, is that we as a body, we as a church, would come alongside one another and this way fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? What is it? Love God and love one another. And it's a very practical way that we're called to do this, is to share the load, to share the burden. And that's the beauty of being a part of a fellowship that loves Jesus, because guys, we don't have to do it on our own. I feel sad for people who, who come to Christ and, and get hurt by the church, and I get it, and they go, you know what, I, I'm tired of the church, I'm just going to worship on the mountain all alone, I don't need anybody. And we've all felt like that at times. But we're shelling ourselves so short of everything that God has for us. And what we do when we do that is just like what Jethro said to Moses, it's not good that you do it on your own. And as tough as we think that we are, guys, God has not created us. Listen, He's not created us to do it on our own. For the, we, he's been, we've been created to have a dependency upon Him first and foremost, and then He's created it to have an interdependence. He's created us to be interdependent upon one another. And without that, we can't make it. We can't. And this is further revealed in this other aspect in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, where Paul writes and he says, For I say, and if Justin, you want to come up, we're going we're gonna to end, end with this. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, that everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And what does that mean? I got it. I don't need anybody. I can do it all on my own. He, and he literally says, I love one translation. It says, will you act like a sober man? <laughs> but in this translation it says, but, but, but to think soberly. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And, and guys, we, we have this problem. This is, this is a man thing. And not exclusive to men, but it's like, I, 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 can, I, don't, I don't need to call anybody to come help me chink my cabin. But we, we, we're called to be there for one another, in the body, specifically. And so he says, but to think soberly. Why? Because God's dealt to each one a measure of faith. In other words, God has seen fit to give each one of us an ability that not only um, we can apply for our own spiritual and mental and physical well-being, but an ability to reach into the lives of others around us. God's given us something that others need. You have something that God's given to you that I need. That's the way God says, as a church, as a congregation. He, says it, he goes on to explain it this way. For, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members, they do not have the same function. So we, being many members, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another and having then gifts differing according to the grace that God has given to us. He says, then let us use them. I, I want to end with this. I heard one, someone say once that 
And this is another way of putting it, this whole body of Christ and bearing one another's burdens. I heard someone say that this, and he actually wrote a book, and it's called Church is a Team Sport. Guys, church is a team sport. And we're all called to be on the field together using the gifts and the talents that God has given to us so that we can carry the burden, so to speak, that we can carry together the load that God has called us to do. So this morning, again, as we read through this and see what Jethro's advice was to his son-in-law, Moses, I think that it's an advice that we can apply to our own lives. First of all, looking, because, because it's, it's better to, 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 to give, it says, uh, it's better to receive than to give, and I know it's harder to receive than to give, and better to give than to receive, excuse me, but it's harder to receive than it is to give. But that goes both ways. And, 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 and there's a certain sense of, of um, it feels good to give, but it's hard to receive. It is. But in the place where we're unwilling to receive, there's, there's an attitude of pride. There's a sense of, of drunkenness, if you will, where we don't have the reality of the situation before us where God says, you can't do it on your own. Guys, we can't do it on our own. We need one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this time that we've had together this morning in your word. I pray, God, that we would see our need for you greater today and our need for each other in our lives. And Lord, as we see these things, I pray, Lord, that we would rise up and not only give but receive, Lord, so that we have all that you desire for us to have. Lord, I'm grateful that you've not left us alone. And I'm grateful, God, that you put your Holy Spirit inside of us to strengthen us and to encourage us, to guide us. And I'm grateful, God, for these people here who encourage me and support me. And I'm grateful, God, that we have this church here who loves one another and is there for each other. And I pray, God, that we would continue to do that and that others outside would see this love that we have for one another that's bore out in practical, real ways as we literally strap ourselves to you and to one another and go through this life, Lord, strengthened as a result of it, that they would see that and desire to be a part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.